The following KOPN podcast is made possible by the generous donations of listeners like you. Please consider a donation to listener-supported community radio, KOPN. You can donate securely on our website at kopn.org. Hi, welcome to Food Sleuth Radio, where we help you think beyond your plate. I'm Melinda Hemmelgarn, a registered dietitian and investigative nutritionist on a mission to connect the dots between food, health, and agriculture and find food truth. And it is my delight and honor to welcome a fellow registered dietitian today. Annie Kay is both a registered dietitian and a registered yoga teacher. She is also the author of a terrific book called Every Bite is Divine, The Balanced Approach to Enjoying Eating, feeling healthy and happy, and getting to a weight that's natural for you. Just so our listeners know, I met Annie at the American Dietetic Association's annual meeting last year, where she was part of an incredible panel on the role of yoga and health. In fact, it was the science of yoga and state of current yoga research. And I believe, Annie, that you led a breathing exercise to a packed room, and everyone left feeling much happier and better. So welcome. Yes, well, thank you, Melinda. And actually, that was my wonderful colleague, Amukar, who led that particular breathing exercise, but it was a, it was a terrific talk. Dr. Satbir Khalsa was there from Harvard as well, and even though it was the very end of the conference, you know, the conference ended Tuesday at noon and it was Tuesday morning, the room was packed and it was really electric because I think so many health professionals and nutritionists see that mindfulness and yoga and these sorts of modalities can really help all of our patients make change. Mm -hmm. And I know we were similar in age. I think you're a little bit younger than I am, but I'm going to bet that in your dietetic education program, as similar to mine, we didn't learn about yoga in our typical coursework. Was that your... Definitely not. Yeah. <laughs> right. right. Yes, yeah, definitely not. Yeah. And I don't know about you, but sometimes I, lately, like in the last week, I've heard people say negative things about registered dietitians, and I think to myself, oh, I've got to bring more exceptional dietitians to the airwaves so people know that we're more than counting calories and grams of different nutrients. We really are holistic thinkers, and we go down different paths, I think, after our training. And I didn't let our listeners know, but you've got very impressive credentials. You've got degrees in nutritional biochemistry from Cornell University and nutrition communications from Boston University. So you've got this great scientific and communication background, and now you're marrying that with mindfulness and yoga and breathing practices. So I'm curious to know, how did you go down this path? Well, it really began as a personal journey for me. I tried yoga, and I think it depends on when you try yoga and, of course, who you run into on that path. And I tried yoga at a time of personal seeking for myself. I had just completed a long-term relationship, and I was on my own for the first time as an adult, and it was something that I fell in love with. There is something about the combination of the movement and the breath, the awareness of breath, and the mental practice of yoga, 
which is an internal focus that really begins to change who we are from the inside out for the better. And really, ever since that time, I was hooked. I had personal issues that I found through this light of awareness that yoga provided just seemed to be much easier to unravel. I mean, I had eating issues uh, as I was going through my early life. And going through Cornell, I mean, I became a real expert in the body and body image. We talked about body image through the 70s and 80s. But I have to say, until I had been doing yoga for quite some time, I had never had a fully integrated experience where I was clear and sure that I was divine from the inside out until I was on that yoga mat. And it was like, oh, I'm perfect. Like, no matter how messed up my hair is or no matter what the person next to me thinks my yoga posture looks like, oh, I'm perfect in my imperfection, and let's begin there. And it turns out that has really helped me to make more cohesive choices in an ongoing way. Mm -hmm. You know, it's really interesting that you mentioned the whole concept of how we view ourselves and I like the stories that you fold into your book as well as how to do the practices of mindfulness and yoga that go with thinking differently and, and changing the way we eat. But this whole idea that I have this theory that if you're a woman in America, I don't think you can ever really fully escape questioning your body in terms of its attractiveness because the media is constantly telling us messages of how we should look. And when I was growing up in the 70s, it was really all about Twiggy, and she became very popular. And Correct. there was such a drive to be thin during a time when girls' bodies were changing hormonally and becoming more round and full. And as I said, I don't think that many women escape that sense of doubt. Yes, I'd have to agree that simply feeling perfect as you are right now that there's nothing to change and that you are reasonable and beautiful just as you are is a concept that we really don't hear and I think Melinda it is so tied into our consumerist society that if we had a whole collection of women wandering around who felt great about themselves <laughs> and didn't need to change or buy or, or uh, be a consumer of anything that uh, that perhaps would be a threat to a particular whole economic framework. I think there are so many messages we get and even nutrition messages we get that they sound like nutrition messages, but they're actually marketing messages, you know, even around healthy snacking and so on and so forth that, you know, it's the, the fact of the matter is most of us need to eat less who are working with, with weight issues. But I think that whole issue of the beauty ideal certainly does manufacture this sort of hole in the chest. And, and if you listen to popular culture to soothe that hole in our chest, it's either shopping or eating. Mm -hmm. So I think that 
our yoga practice really teaches us some ways of getting curious about that and experimenting with some other ways of of soothing that discomfort. Mm-hmm. Now, you are the lead nutritionist at the Kripalu Center for Yoga and Health. What kinds of things do you teach there? Well, I'm the lead nutritionist in this group of programs called Healthy Living Programs. And what these programs do is teach a yoga-based lifestyle and a whole foods lifestyle for various life issues that people are working with. So, for example, we have an integrated weight loss program, and then we have a detox program. So we have a variety of things, and we work with people who are survivors of cancer who are looking for a yoga-based and more contemplative approach to these sorts of situations. I mean, for us, we're whole food, and refined foods really just don't even fit into our worldview. So when people just want that simplicity, oftentimes they come to us. And this collection of programs, one of our spiritual leaders named Swami Kripalo, for whom Kripalo is named, one of the things he said is, Compassionate self-observation is the highest form of spiritual practice. So we teach people to let go of some of the struggle in their lives and to just look at themselves just through a light of awareness. And rather than, oh, I'm good here and I'm bad here, it's more looking through the light of awareness and It's more, oh, aren't I a fascinating being that I have this struggle with sugar, you know. Mm -hmm. I wonder what that's about. Maybe Mm -hmm. I'll investigate. You know, because so many folks come in and they sit down across from me and they say, well, when I'm good, I eat this, and when I'm bad, I eat that. So how can I eat like I'm good? more often, you know, and I say, well, let's put that whole model aside, that I'm good and then I'm bad, and let's just look through the light of awareness and make the assumption that you're always good, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and, and let's unpack this from there. Well, I think there are two avenues I want to discuss with you based on some of your last comments, but one is, you know, the struggle I think that many of us have, and it's come to light really within the last few years, at least through my reading, is that there really is a biochemical reaction to some yes. of these foods in that bad category, right? So we get this, perhaps it's a dopamine response, if I'm understanding nutritional biochemistry well, but when we eat foods that are high in sugar or high in fat that have this high pleasure focus, there's a biochemical reason for that, and shifting away from that is really difficult, isn't it? Well, it can be. I have to say, this is one of the beauties of being a nutritionist at Kripalo, because people come in for five days. So they're in an immersion process. While they're learning about yoga and how to be compassionate with themselves, they're also eating at this wonderful place called the Kripalo Dining Hall, where they're eating tons of dark green leafies and a much higher fiber diet than they're used to. They're eating a nice nutrient-dense diet, so it really helps them unplug from some of the more highly refined foods that are out there everywhere. You know, I think our whole culture is built on 
refined foods, that you're absolutely right. You know, do foster a physiology and a brain chemistry that makes us more habitual choice makers. I think it's fiber to a good extent. You know, people don't realize the degree to which fiber can save them, you know. Uh So they learn a little bit about their psychology. They learn to experiment with their habits. And then we teach them about, you know, sure, there's the brain chemistry, but also there's simply the blood sugar roller coaster that more refined foods can trigger. Mm-hmm. I think some of the coolest information out there is some of the information about David Kessler, yes. who's a, a wonderful author, talks about this, how refined food triggers the amygdala, the emotion centers of the brain. In the same way as as certain drugs, there's a researcher at University of California, San Francisco, her name is Mary Dahlman, who said, you know, yeah, the environment that we live in creates this internal biochemistry that makes us more habitual choice makers. But interestingly, what she also said, gosh, there's one set of practices that seems to re-engage or rebalance that amygdala activation with the prefrontal cortex or the executive function of the brain to make us more balanced choice makers. And those set of practices are yoga, mindfulness, meditation. So we're at a great place. And I think that when we get folks for five days, they've already taken a big step in the right direction. I was thinking, first of all, I had David Kessler in mind too when you were, when you mentioned that. But I think it's so helpful to have this group experience because for one thing, you don't have to figure out what to cook. It's being done for you. And you're all, there also must be some kind of magic in being with a group and talking about transformation together. And I don't know if, if you're the same way, but I know sometimes, you know, when we travel, we're away from the whole foods that we're used to consuming. And I know when I come home and I, I start not feeling well and I come home and I usually have like a big plate of kale just yes. because I see it as medicine to help me feel better again. Yes. 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 And it's, it's, and it's all those things. And, and you're also, you know, just a, it's a way of caring for yourself and you, can't help but notice that. But, yeah, definitely the dance of the physiology and the habits and the psychology. Definitely folks are in a tough place out there, and it's hard. It's hard to practice cohesive lifestyles in our culture that are so filled with addictive and less than nourishing foods. But it's always worth it. You know, people start feeling fabulous when they do. Like you, like after you finish your kale and after you're back on your healthful diet for a few days, it's like you feel that shift of energy. So it's a powerful combination. Mm-hmm. I agree. I need to remind our listeners that we are speaking with Annie Kay. She is the lead nutritionist at Kripalu Center for Yoga and Health. She is a registered dietitian and a registered yoga teacher, and she's the author of a wonderful book called Every Bite is Divine, The Balanced Approach to Enjoying Eating, Feeling Healthy and Happy, and Getting to a Weight That's Natural for You. Annie, we had been talking a little bit about this concept of busyness, and how difficult it is, and I'm as guilty as the next person. I'll, I'll admit my own failings in that 
gosh, I've got to go check my email. I'll just go ahead and bring my breakfast into my office. And I know that that's not right. I know I should be sitting mindfully at my kitchen table. I'm not doing any other activities while I'm eating. How do we help move people away from busyness? You know, how do we wean ourselves away from this chronic feeling of needing to check in, needing to follow up? Yes. Well, it's certainly, you know, we do have this culture that is ever at the tether, you know, really ever. It does seem that there are increasing numbers of tasks and online and so forth 24-7, the world of 24-7. But I think that uh, what we can do is begin with compassionate self-observation. First, give yourself a break. I mean, humans are compulsive. (laughs) We are, uh, one of my teachers said, yoga is a tool to calm our stormy and tempestuous natures. And I love that. So I think to chunk it down, Forgive yourself for eating your breakfast in front of the email, and can you take one mindful bite? Can you take one conscious breath in that experience? And then can you, too, just if you're going to be engaged in the television or the email, at least make it pleasant. One of my Ayurveda teacher friends at Kripalo says that, The primary cause of indigestion is unsettledness in the mind. So can we at least, if we can't be completely focused only on our meal, can we at least keep it in a positive and reasonably calm environment? So we don't have to be perfect. Mm -hmm. We don't have to be perfect. But as another one of my friends there says, progress, not perfection is really what we're going for, just practicing and bringing a little more mindfulness mm-hmm. into more of what we do. It has a way of expanding. So you can't do it wrong. Mm-hmm. Well, let me ask you a personal question, if I might. Sure. Tell our listeners what it's like if we were to have a meal with you. What would that experience be like? Well, let's see. We have, first of all, We'd have a nice combination of lots of plants, lots of very nutrient-dense plants, and we'd have some treats as well. And we would be gathered around. We would take time to honor the food that is in front of us and take it in with all five senses, maybe beginning the meal in silence, taking a couple bites of our food and just diving into that, and then we begin a conversation of the sensory aspects of the meal. What does it taste like? What does it look like? You know, what are those aspects of the meals? And what does it really feel like to fully taste the food? I mean, I think that would be an ideal way to begin with almost anybody. And then we'd, of course, relax into enjoying each other. Mm-hmm. and deepening our relationships as well. Should we have music with our meals? I think music is fabulous. It has. I think it's great. Anything that helps us to relax, helps us to be in our bodies, and soothes and elevates us a bit, I think is terrific. 
Mm-hmm. You what know, do you think, Melinda? Well, I think that there was a dietary guideline that I will never forget reading. You know, whenever the U.S. dietary guidelines get updated, I think it's every five years or so, I'm always tempted to check those guidelines against other countries. Uh-huh. And there was one guideline from Japan, I believe, that said that we should enjoy our food with pleasant company. And it it was something that we don't see in our own dietary guidelines, but it has stayed with me in that the environment, just as you describe, whether it's pleasant music, pleasant company, making the space beautiful, even making the food beautiful. I, I think food is always ugly on styrofoam, for example. And I think it's very important to serve it with beauty and, as you mentioned, gratitude and to take a moment to be grateful for the food on our plate. And I I think it's one of the reasons why I love your message and I love your book Mm. so much because it really brings home that the importance of gratitude and relaxation. Mm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I agree completely. I mean, we think of food as a carrier for prana. And prana is life force. Mm. So, you know, food and, and all that nourish us, really, which when we're thinking about weight management, to begin to look at other things that nourish us mm-hmm. besides food, you know, other things that fuel our life force, our strategies or are things that we can look to when we get overly attached to using food to soothe strong emotions, for example, which I think, you know, is yet another thing that we are practically trained in this country to do, to manage our emotions through food. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are so many other ways <laughs> that work better, you know, for example, being physically active or even taking a walk around the building or even around your desk, let alone connecting with a friend and so forth that, yeah, that, can be wonderful alternatives to comfort food. Right. Well, one of the other reasons why I really like your book is because in addition to having practical tips, you've got personal stories from people that yeah. you've met along your in your practice, and then you've also got some boxed pieces of information. And the one that I highlighted was what is a healthy relationship? Boy, that's another thing that we don't talk or learn enough about oftentimes until it's too late. And it all boils down, I think, to respect. So you help us see respect or respect not only ourselves but the food on our plate and others and having the healthy relationships as it relates to other human beings as well as the food on our plate. Yes, yes. Yeah, you know, one thing um, that yoga does is help us to kind of, there's something called the witness in yoga. And that is an ability to step back and observe without getting triggered or activated or pushing something away or judging something. And it's a wonderful way to work relationships as well, both with ourselves and with and with others. So when somebody says something or does something that triggers you to simply take a step back, you know, that therapeutic pause, that <laughs> power of taking a moment, taking a breath, and just relaxing, feeling your body, and then 
reconnecting. So yes, working our relationships in a more conscious way, including our relationship with ourselves. I mean, there's a whole practice in yoga of becoming more attuned to our internal dialogue. And that's quite a quite a practice <laughs> once you get into it. Just the things that we say to ourselves, if we wrote that down and really looked at it, we are so tough on ourselves. And then, of course, we're so tough on other people. But, yeah, to begin to to look at that and cultivate a more positive mindset or a more a more aspirational relationship with ourselves. I mean, what would we like to be saying to ourselves? How would we like to be addressing ourselves through the course of the day? And we have we have an incredible ability to make these shifts. And it's a moment by moment by moment practice and we're always going to mess up. We're always going to be our compulsive, tempestuous selves, and that's okay. It's who we are, you know, but we humans also have this ability to be so divine and so compassionate and so forgiving. So it's a moment-by-moment practice with everything we come in contact with. You know, the one really big takeaway message from your session at the Dietetic Association meeting was the power of the breath. And if I'm recalling correctly, it was the one common denominator for all methods of meditation and different spiritual practice. It was the magic and power of the breath. And one of the things that you mention on your website and in some of your writings, and I think it's a really powerful, important message for all of us to think about, You say, one of the most fascinating things about science is that what we don't know is limitless. And I think that with regard to the research about breathing and its relationship to emotion and physical health, you know, that might not be housed automatically under strict, rigid bench science, but still it's an important component of wellness, and it is indeed backed by science, even if we haven't discovered what exactly that is yet. Yes. Well, it's interesting because the breath and breathing is the only physiologic process that is both voluntary and involuntary. I mean, we can't decide to stop breathing, but we can control the breath. So yogis and other contemplative practitioners really see the breath as this vehicle between the mind and body. And it's also a very hot area of research, that investigation between respiration and emotion. And the researchers are finding out what the yogis knew all along, that the two play a very intimate dance. So, yes, I do think that breath practices and breath-based meditations are extremely fascinating and extremely powerful. Well, Annie, we've run out of time, but I Mm want to let you know how much I appreciate the wisdom that you've shared in our short time together as well as in your book. And we've been speaking, listeners, to Annie Kay. She is both a registered dietitian and a registered yoga teacher. She is the author of Every Bite is Divine. She is also the lead nutritionist at the Kripalu Center for Yoga and Health based in Stockbridge, Massachusetts. 
I want to remind our listeners that Food Sleuth Radio is produced at KOPN Studios by Dan Hemmelgarn in beautiful downtown Columbia, Missouri. And if our listeners would like more information about where to go to read about Annie Kay's great work, you can go to everybyteisdivine.com. Annie, I want to thank you again for being my guest. Is there one send-off message you'd like to leave our listeners? Just to be kind to themselves to other people, and even to the food that they eat. Thank you so much, Melinda. It's been great chatting with you. Thank you again, Annie. Thanks, Melinda.